When God saw what they had did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeting to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down in the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Colin. Um, well, many of us will think as those in the church as our family, uh, and rightly so. Um, but how will you think of those who are not in our church? Should we ignore them or dislike them? And of course, in this passage, God explains his attitude to the Ninevites, to those who don't know him, so that we can understand um, how he thinks about those who don't know him. This morning's talk is divided into three parts. First, we'll look at uh, God's attitude, secondly, at Jonah's attitude, and finally, at what God provides. So, God's attitude. God's attitude, of course, is that he spared Nineveh because he's concerned for them. Remember back in um, chapter 3, verse 10, we looked at last week. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And why? Of course, it's because he's concerned, as you see at the end of uh, this reading, verse 10 of chapter 4. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, they did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? See, God made Nineveh. He sustains Nineveh. It only makes sense that he is concerned for them. Yes, they're evil. But yes... God is concerned for them. They may be powerful. They're described in verse 11 as a great city. And yet, he also is concerned because there's basic stuff they don't know. It's so basic, he says, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Never may fight wars and win, but God sees they have a very basic need. 
when I was first learning uh, New Testament Greek, some years ago now, um, it used to take me sort of 20, 30, 40 seconds just to read a word. And, you know, you sort of grapple with it. And it all seemed a bit magical. And my wife, Helen, thought it'd be a bit of fun to see if actually I could read Greek. And so she got the New Testament Greek Bible, covered up what was, you know, where this passage was from and said, you know, here, read this. So I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I looked at it, and I looked at it. And I came to the conclusion that I was not reading a good passage. I said, Helen, I said, this is bad. It says, he loves the world. And uh, Helen then told me it was John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It's striking, isn't it? That's how much he loves the world. And he loves Nineveh, even though they may be evil. Well, let's think about some other cities. So you have here, when we have it, a picture of... You're doing well to guess what city that is. Nineveh? No, no, nothing so, sorry, nothing so well thought through. <laughs> no, we have um, Kathmandu. Population 1.5 million. Beautiful, surrounded by hills. 1.4% um, Christian, according to the statistics I read. What does God think of this city? Sorry, bad. Bad, yeah, probably does bad. But I also think he thinks um, he loves it, he's concerned for it, and there's 1.5 million people who don't know their right hand from their left. Well, secondly, this city, now that's more recognisable, isn't it? Particularly given the news lately. That is Hong Kong, yes. 7.5 million people in that area. Staggering, isn't it? Beautiful skyline, great food, 11% uh, Christian, according to what I read recently. What does God think of that city, Hong Kong? He loves it. He cares for it. There are about 7 million people who don't know their right hand from their left. And the next city, you may recognise that one. City of Adelaide, 1.3 million according to what I read. No pollution, beautiful beaches, great hills, wine. As I came here this morning, I came to Raynell Road and uh, so I was on Panalatinga, Raynell to the right, grapes to the left, grapes. How good is this place? Blue sky. It's actually a huge city, isn't it? 1.3 million. Ten times the size of Nineveh. What does God think of this city? He's concerned, isn't he? It's over one million people who don't know their right hand from their left. And Jesus shows a similar concern in the passage uh, we call the Great Commission. From Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he goes on to describe what making disciples is like. But I think it's interesting. When Jesus said, Therefore, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, worship me. Uh, therefore, serve me. Therefore, 
Do what I say? Actually, it's not what he says, is it? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. For Jesus, it's obvious that because he's in control, the response is to make disciples. That's how concerned Jesus is and God is for all people. But in case we think that we are the only things that matter on this earth, uh, it's, it's funny how this um, part of Jonah ends. Because the city has, as we'll see next, not just people, but, and also many animals. So funnily enough, God's always been concerned for animals. Deuteronomy 25.4, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grade. Uh, Proverbs 12.10, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. And if God cares for people, and he cares also for animals. But in contrast, Jonah's attitude is very different. See, Jonah goes on to explain why he ran away from God in the beginning of the book. And it's not because he was scared, but because he knew what God was like and didn't like it. Verse 2 of chapter 4. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. God's kindness is great when it's shown to us, or when it's shown to me, but when it's shown to those I don't like, it actually can be quite difficult, can't it? especially if they're against me. See, Jesus actually shows a better attitude to enemies. I presume that's why uh, Jonah doesn't like the enemy. He considers them an enemy. Uh, Matthew 5, from verse 43. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, if you love your enemies, you're like God. He says you'll be children of your Father in heaven. It doesn't matter what sort of relationship we have with others. Um, We're to love them, to be concerned for them. Friends, enemies... Everyone. Children are like their father. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, isn't it, for those of us uh, who are fathers. Um, But our father in heaven, he loves the evil and the good. Nineveh repents, so God relents. But Jonah hopes they'll be destroyed. So the people of Nineveh had said, who knows? Chapter 3, verse 9. God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. And by his action, see Jonah, verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And it's like Jonah is saying, oh, God may yet relent from his compassion and have fierce anger on Nineveh. 
It's not a great look, is it? Jonah's attitude here uh, is a bit like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. Uh, you may uh, know the story from Luke 15. You, there's enough back here to get the gist, I think. Uh, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your wealth, your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So we saw there, there's the, the younger brother who was lost, who went away and who did squander all this wealth on nothing. On the other hand, we have the older brother who stayed back and was angry at the younger brother being welcomed back. So who's Jonah like? See, initially he's like the younger brother, isn't he? He runs away. And I dare say we're all like that. We've run away from God. We've done what he doesn't want. But then he's like the, the older brother. When someone comes back, he doesn't like it. I think what you might say is, Jonah combines the disadvantages of the older brother and the younger brother. And it's something, I think, a position we never want to be in, do we? We never want to be the one who is combining the disadvantages of both. Because after all, we have all run away from God. I spent the first 18 years of my life running away from God, and still too often I choose to run away from God. And now, now that I've come to know God, do I have God's concern for others? Well, probably not. It's a bit ugly. And it scares me that I might end up looking a bit, looking a bit like this car. Ooh, there, there we go. That, for your information, is the smart crossfire. See, for a while, we, my family, owned a motorbike and a car. Now, the good thing about uh, a car is that you can take the whole family and it keeps you dry when the weather's bad. The good thing about the motorbike is it's flexible when you go somewhere. It doesn't matter if there's a parking spot, there's always a parking spot for a motorbike. You just shove it on the footpath wherever you are and walk straight in. The smart crossfire, however, combines the disadvantages of the car and the motorbike. <laughs> you can't take your family. If it's wet, you're going to get wet. And when you get where you're going, you have to find a car park. Now, we don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want to combine the disadvantages of the older brother and the younger brother. Let's try and have uh, God's attitude, thank you, which is our concern for those around us. So, well then, if we, if we want to have that sort of concern, how do we get that? And fortunately, God provides. 
Three times in this passage, God is described as providing. Verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So it's easy to talk about God providing good things for us, isn't it? We say, God's given us this wonderful day, you know. God's gave this great day for my birthday. He's given me this new job. We can think that God is blessing us because we get good things. But look at the next two things that God provides. Verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. We stewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. And it's almost, well, I think it is God provided that leafy plant, the good thing, just so he could take it away. See, what God wants most for Jonah is not for Jonah to be comfortable, but for Jonah to understand God and to have God's heart, to be like God. So God sent, provided, a worm and a strong wind so that Jonah would learn his lesson. See, Jonah would have been boiling. The scorching wind, the strong sun, no air conditioning. But the Lord said, verse 10, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? So it's funny, I think it's easier actually to say why God sends a bad thing than why he sends a good thing. We don't really know if God's given us a good thing to, for us to have it and enjoy it or to take it away so that we learn a lesson. But we get, when we get a bad thing, uh, we know what it's about. He's training us. Hebrews 12 verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? So just as Jonah is being taught a lesson by the son, so every time we have hardship, the author of Hebrews says, consider it a lesson. Consider it discipline. And it's not a sign that God hates us. It's actually a sign that he loves us. He's loving us like his children. As an example, even something uh, as soul-destroying as depression can actually be a good thing. Uh, Peter Brain, who was a, a bishop at the Anglican Church around Armadale, I think, uh, he wrote a book called Going the Distance for Church Leaders. And one of, his prog- uh, one of his chapters was titled something like Depression Needn't Be Depressing. And in it he said depression gave you an opportunity to look at your life and work out if there were things that were in there that needed to be changed. Perhaps you neglected prayer or Bible reading. Perhaps you'd thought... Everything depended on you. Uh, perhaps you were trying to do too much instead of letting others do stuff. For me, I often find that I'm depressed when I've been neglecting evangelism because I think 
people need to know about God. And if I stop caring for them, perhaps it's, while very difficult, perhaps it's helpful for me uh, to reflect on that, that I need to be loving others and not just worrying about myself. So I want to say also that there is hope. Of course, God provides this stuff, but it's actually interesting that we have this book. And I think the only reason we can have this book is because Jonah's passed on what's happening, what's happened to him. I presume he's learnt the lesson. There's hope for Jonah, you would think. There's hope also for us. Well, often we think, I wonder if we think we're not like Jonah. But if we consider uh, this picture here, and I wonder where you would put yourself. Do you put yourself down there when you think about other people, if other people get good stuff? Do you think, are you a bit angry about the whole thing? Do you not like them? Are you somewhere in the middle? You're not angry about them having bad things, but you don't really care that much. Call it apathy. Or are you like God and concerned? It's very easy to be uh, at the wrong end of that line, isn't it? A friend of mine who's not from uh, Trinity Church Woodcroft, nor from where I go, Trinity Church Brighton, he told me that his church's prayer group consists of him, his wife, and a few elderly. His church is a young church. And he reckons that either they aren't relying on God to convert people, or perhaps they don't have God's concern for those who don't know God. Difficult, isn't it? Or social time. If we're going to have God's attitude, if we're going to be concerned about people, it will affect how we spend our time. And in particular, I think, our social time. If we spend it just with Christians, I think that's a problem. A friend of mine, Nick, he was a single Christian man at the time, told me that he spent each Friday night with his work colleagues, uh, who weren't Christians, and he said he thought the problem with that was that it was a low proportion of his total social time. Uh, my response was, uh, perhaps he'd get married, have kids, and then if he kept doing that Friday night, that'd be a fine proportion of his social time. Um, can I suggest, uh, if we spend about half our social time with non-Christians, that might be good. Um, that means making an effort. It means getting to know our neighbours, getting to know perhaps uh, the, the parents of our kids' friends. That's right, isn't it? The parents of our kids' friends. Anyway, you know what I mean other people around the place, making an effort. Richard Cohen uh, is an evangelist and church planner from England. And when he was here, he, he spoke about evangelism. And he said in his area of England, what was very popular was drinking parties. And people would stay very late, well after midnight. And he said, Christians should go to these drinking parties and they should stay very late, well after midnight. He said, if all the Christians leave at 11... People will think you're not like them and they won't interact with you as, as friends. He said, plan to stay late. That's how you can know them and speak into their lives because they'll think you're like them. Well, another application of uh, being concerned for people is what we want from our minister. Now, we could say... Uh, 
we pay for our minister, we want him to be around when uh, we have an issue. Um, but if we have God's concern for those who are lost, we might, we might also say, um, we pay our minister so that others can know about Jesus. And we pay our minister so he can tell them, and so he can teach us how to tell others about Jesus. And because you want him to teach us how to tell others about Jesus, we need him to be doing that himself so he gets good practice. So he must make sure that he has enough time and energy and mental space uh, to have relationships with people who don't know God, uh, such as his neighbours and the other parents from his kids' soccer team, for example. And if we have concern for others, it's going to shape what our church is like. See, I think there'd be no such thing as a church of mature Christians. Because if, uh, as Christians, we're mature, then we'll be inviting others. And some will come and who don't know God. And so we won't have a mature church for long. And it means that our church won't be full of people that we know well. Because, again, if we're uh, concerned for others, we'll be inviting others. Some will come, and so there'll be people there who are new all the time. Now, we can think, this all sounds pretty tough really, doesn't it? Speaking about God to others. But I think one thing we need to remember from Jonah is that actually sometimes those who don't know God aren't as anti-God as we might think. And we saw in chapter 1 that uh, the sailors, in fact, worshipped God. Um, they were nice to Jonah. Jonah wasn't necessarily nice to them, but they were nice to Jonah. We saw in chapter 1, they didn't want to throw him overboard and they ended up worshipping God. And, of course, the Ninevites, who would have thought? They repented and turned to God. Uh, another example of this, Dave, is a guy I play soccer with. And um, so last week, if you are here, you would have seen the team of the fellows we play soccer with. We're all, you know... Well, we're not young, let's say that. And we play soccer, then I'm going to say nine times out of ten, that's probably not right. 49 times out of 50, we go to the pub afterwards and we have a chat. We talk about life. We talk about all sorts of things. You know those taboo topics that you don't talk about? Sex, religion, politics. We talk about them all. Uh, one day, uh, one of the guys in the team was saying that He'd had um, some Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on his door and they were quite persistent in trying to convert him. Now, I've, been, I've known Dave for six, seven years. Every time uh, Christmas or Easter is around, I make sure I bring up something topical about Jesus. Whenever something comes up in society, religion or whatever, I will you know, put in a word for Jesus. After discussing about the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, Dave said... Oh, you know, I've never had anyone try to convert me. Oh. 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 I groaned inside and then I groaned aloud. I thought I'd make the point. Um, it's funny, actually, that was about two or three years ago. And then um, he said the same thing about two weeks ago. So I've never had anyone try to convert me. Then he said, except you, Jeff. I think, I think he was just having pity on me. But... But they're probably less anti than we think. Uh, Greg Lee, he spoke at Men's Convention this year. He uh, is from Newcastle, just north of Sydney. 
He said, most people in Newcastle have never been to church. They don't know anyone who goes to church or is a Christian. And you may think there and think, well, that's, that's sad. That's going to be really hard then. And he said, actually, it has its advantages. Because people have not had any bad experiences of church and they're interested. Who would have thought? It's interesting, isn't it? So, um, finally, we're at the end of uh, the book of Jonah. We've seen that uh, God is concerned for people. In fact, for God so loved Nineveh that he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And Jonah ought to have loved Nineveh too. Well, for God so loves those who don't know him in Adelaide. Uh, we ought to love him too. Well, so we ought to love them too. And that love or that concern should shape how we spend our time and it should shape who we are as a church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have loved us when we didn't know you. Thank you for those who are concerned for us when we didn't know you and were courageous enough to tell us about you. Help us to be concerned for others like you are. Guide our thoughts and our actions and correct us when we need it. Amen.